Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, January 22nd, 2023. The share ID numbers for Friday, January 20th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 19,872. That's 19872. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 19,873. That's 19873. This morning, A Vision for You presents the rescue mission for a real compulsive overeater. Help! Someone, please help me. Please rescue me from this merciless obsession. We come to Overeaters Anonymous looking for a way out, a solution which will free us from the bondage, the relentless pain and suffering of our affliction. The big book teaches that to get over drinking, or for us compulsive overeating, it will require a transformation of thought and attitude. The same person will compulsively overeat again, and again, and again, and again. Driven and haunted by the pain of the old self, it is a short distance to the temporary relief and old solution of compulsively overeating. The 12 steps serve a specific purpose. According to Bill Wilson, the 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to drink, for us, expel the obsession to overeat, and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. In other words, the 12 steps can keep us, as compulsive overeaters, abstinent and happy. The 12 steps outline a path to spiritual progress through a series of actions designed to elicit what the big book refers to as a psychic change, a personality change, a transformation of thought, a transformation of attitude and perception. The real advantage of the 12 steps is that they are a specific and proven method for producing change. A change in the way we think, a change in the way we feel, and most importantly, a change in the way we behave. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes which were once guiding forces of our lives are cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions, ideas, and attitudes begin to dominate us. We are moved to a new state of consciousness and being. 
as the result of the application of the 12 steps, we have experienced a spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to overcome compulsive overeating. Joining us today to share her story of what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now is Lou B., a recovered compulsive overeater from Texas. Lou is a devoted member of Overeaters Anonymous and a vision for you, and she's with us today to carry this message of recovery. And it's with great appreciation I welcome Lou B. to the line. Good morning, Lou. Morning, Leah. Thank you. And good morning, a vision for you. I'm Lou B., a, a recovered compulsive overeater, soon to be from Austin, Texas. And I appreciate you um, for being here with me today. I talked to God a few minutes ago and I asked him to guide my words. And my hope is that something I say uh, this morning will speak to to at least one of you. To help you either identify in um, as a compulsive overeater or to want the things that, that Leah just described, you know, the freedom of, of this program. So I'm going to talk this morning about how God rescued me from the dark pit of compulsive overeating. I looked up the definition of rescue and it says to save or deliver someone from a dangerous or distressing situation. And then I looked up deliver and the definition of deliver is to set free. So the word rescue is only used three times in the big book and Bill Wilson uh, never said that his higher power rescued him, but this is how I think about it. God set me free from compulsive overeating by giving me the steps, um, which were my map to him. One of our fellows talks about them being a treasure map and that God is the treasure at the end of the map, and, and that's really true for me. So what I've done is I've divided my talk into three parts. Um, I'm going to start with the 12 horrors and the unmanageability, what, was, what it was like, and then I'm going to talk about the 12 transforming things, what happened, and then um, the 12 wonders about my awesome life today, thanks to these steps in my higher power. So I've, I've identified, because we have a program with 12 steps and 12 traditions, I've identified 12 things in each one of these three areas. But, you know, if I get to number six, before the 15 minutes, first 15 minutes pass by, I'll just go on to the next section. It's all right. Okay, so the 12 horrors and the unmanageability. I was born a compulsive overeater to a compulsive overeater. Um, you know, my, my mom has my disease. She's 90 years old. She's still active in her disease. I don't think she's going to get recovered, but she is the person who introduced me to um, OA, believe it or not. But anyway, so on page XXVI in the doctor's opinion, it says, um, Dr. Silkworth, in his statement, he says, or he confirms that we who have suffered alcoholic torture, which I did, um, food torture, I guess you could call it, must believe, we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. So this tells me that both my body and my mind are abnormal. You know, I was in the rooms a long time thinking that um, anybody who was overweight had this disease and I had just found, you know, how to get out of it. But I don't believe that today, you know. Um, I believe I am bodily and mentally different from my fellows, and and the doctor's opinion cures that. So, um, 
you know, my disease started with candy as a kid. Candy was like fun and delicious and a party and sociability, everything. So my friends and I would hop on our bikes when we were little kids and ride up to the convenience store, you know, and get candy. And it was so fun. (laughs) And I loved it. Um, But what happened was it quit working as I became older. You know, as as my disease progressed, it became, you know, one of the true horrors of my life and candy progressed to all kinds of other of other um drugs you know or not drugs but food drugs i guess you could call them so on on page 44 in we agnostics it uh this is the statement that i used to decide if i was a compulsive overeater it says if when you honestly want to you find you cannot quit entirely or if when drinking you have little control over the amount you take, you are probably alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. And, um, you know, when I was a little girl, I didn't I didn't want to quit. But, man, later on in my life as a teenager and a young adult, I definitely wanted to quit and found that I couldn't, and I couldn't control the amount that I ate once I started eating it. So that's how I qualified in. Um, let's see. So when I was nine years old, my family moved from Texas to Memphis. And shortly thereafter, my dad got sick with cancer, like within months of moving up there. And, um, and he died seven years later when I was 16. So during this period, this was the first time that I remember really wanting to change the way I felt. You know, there were lots and lots of fear during that chapter of my life. My, my, uh, my 18 year old brother, and his brand new wife, like they were both 18 years old. They had just gotten married right before my dad was diagnosed. Um, they were the people who came and stayed with me for three months when I was my when my parents came back to Texas to Indy Anderson for my dad. And you know that was pretty scary. <laughs> um, that was pretty scary. And then and then I stayed with my teacher who I didn't know. She was probably all of 23 years old. So lots of fear. And um, and I really did want to change the way I felt. And And the first time that I remember feeling really different, like in relation to food, was when I was a teenager. I don't remember what age I was, 14, 15, 16, 17, something like that. But um, right about the time my dad was, you know, dying, I remember being at a party with some friends and there were some chocolate chips, cookies, and I could not quit eating them. And I remember my friends saying, Lou, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? And I'm like, I I, I honestly don't know, but I can't quit eating these and I just felt horrible. So... So that was pretty, pretty, um, that was a horror. That was a real, those were both horrors. Anyway, so, so also during this time when I was, when I was as, as a young child, I remember like, um, you know, in, in the rooms we talk about like living on a ladder where I'm either better or worse than you. And that was how I lived so much of my life before I found you guys in the steps and, and my higher power. I just, it was all about competition and, and comparing myself and you know it was about a 50 50 saying right sometimes i came out better and sometimes i came out worse but 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 neither one of them were good for me you know it was such an empty empty way to live on on page four of bill's story he talked about the old fierce determination to win and and that resonated with me the first time i read it and every still does every time i read it so you know the praise of people and and all that that just started during this you know my my uh, my growing up years, and I'm still I can still be a people pleaser today. Um, 
if I'm not careful. Another part, another horror of my disease was exercise bulimia. You know, I wanted to change the way I felt, and going out and running 10 miles did the trick. <laughs> you know, on um, page XXVII, uh, it it says, um, it says that um, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. And and I did. I liked the effect running gave me, and and I used it a lot. So I liked sugar, caffeine, and exercise. And um, you know, it, it also Bill talks about the fact that drinking was taking an important and exhilarating part in his life. You know, back in the early '90s, it was there was no internet, and um, uh, running a marathon was kind of a weird thing or not a weird thing but I mean like you know I, I didn't know a lot of people who had done it so um I trained for a marathon and ran one and and quickly found out that that was not for me I did it once and said check in that box I'm going to move on but it was an exhilarating part of my life and it drew a lot of attention to me um and I and I used that you know to build myself up so um the next thing I'll talk about is I call it the darkness. You know, I came to college at a place where I did not know anybody, a big university. I was extremely lonely. It was a time in my life when uh, none of the the things that I was depending on, you know, the people pleasing and the being better than you, none of those worked. And although I had grown up in church, I didn't really have a relationship with God, so I had nothing to depend on. And my disease, oh, my Lord, it took off like like a wildfire. I mean, that's when it really, really got bad and scary. And so that brings me to the next one, which is I call <laughs> drive-throughs and desperation, you know. Um, golly, I want to read on page XXIX. Um, it says... Um, this is, man, I have this, this is one of the first things I remember highlighting in this book. So after they have succumbed to the desire again, as so many do, and the phenomenon of craving develops, they pass through the well-known stages of a spree, emerging remorseful with a firm resolution not to drink again. This is repeated over and over. And unless this person can experience the, an entire psychic change, there is very little hope of his recovery. So, um, yeah, I mean, I can remember going through a drive through and driving to the next restaurant, driving to the next restaurant, eating that previous restaurant's food in the drive through, <laughs> um, you know, until I could get the next food and just driving around and throwing out bags of food out the window and just littering and oh, it's just awful. But anyway, and then, um, you know, Bill also talks about the remorse, horror and hopelessness of the next morning being unforgettable and that's exactly how I felt just just hopeless yeah so and I cursed myself for a weakling just like just like Bill you know I remember this part of my life um being in what I would call a food coma and I would you know after after a binge I would lay in bed with my eyes closed I wasn't asleep but I was awake but I was completely immobile and unable to get up um, some bad things happened during this phase in my life. You know, I, I, I had an abortion, which is such a embarrassing thing. I don't know if I should say embarrassing, but my family, you know, didn't know. I had no one to turn to. Anyway, it was a bad time. Then I got married, and my husband was my higher power. You know, I would roll over in the morning and say, what are we going to do today, you know? And I would I turned everything over to him, and 
um, I was unfaithful to him early in our marriage, and fortunately, he's a good guy, and and I found God, and and we've been married almost uh, 38 years. I think it'll be this year. So, anyway, um, caffeine and control. You know, the last trick in my bag was to just not eat until late afternoon, because I knew that I would just eat until I went to sleep that night. You know, during that this time, I was aggressive. I cussed like a sailor. I was just Ugh, not a very fun person to be around. And then, um, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, I was mentally and physically driven to get my drugs, which I, you know, I call my drug foods drugs, when the idea came into my mind. You know, on page XXX of the doctor's opinion, um, Dr. Silkworth tells us that these men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control, and that was absolutely how it was for me. If I had the idea, if the idea popped into my head to go get something something to eat, I could not not do it. I could not not do it. I may be able to postpone it, um, but I couldn't eventually not do it. So anyway, um, so I had I had children before I came to the program, before I came to the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous. When I came, I had two little boys. Um, my youngest was one, and my oldest was four. And ooh, this is when my this is when my throat kind of closes up, you know, when I think about some of those early days um, in their lives. But anyway, we don't regret the past, <laughs> nor wish to shut the door on it. But I don't like to talk about it much. Anyway, those were my probably my biggest regrets that I have from my disease and the biggest damages that I did. Okay, this brings me to the 12th horror, and the title of it is Pizza and Dr. Pepper for Breakfast. So, um, I, uh, you know, like I said, my last trick was to just not eat until later in the afternoon so that I could just go ahead and eat till I went to sleep. And the day, the morning of the very first day, I'm sorry, the the morning of the day I walked into my first meeting, I woke up and I had pizza and Dr. Pepper for breakfast. I mean, like that was as long as I could last. It's just, you know, I think it was a 930 meeting. So that's as far as I had gotten that day. But anyway, on page, um, page eight of Bill's story, he says, now I was to plunge into the dark. No words can tell of the loneliness and despair I found in that bitter morass of self-pity. Quicksand stretched around me in all directions. I had met my match. I had been overwhelmed. Alcohol was my master. And that morning, Dr. Pepper and pizza were my master. So I walked into my uh, true, I say it in my notes here, I walked into my true first OA meeting, I think what I meant by that was that I'd gone to OA. My mom had introduced me to OA back in the early 80s, but this was in um, 2000, like between Christmas and New Year's of 2000. I walked um, in, you know, on my own. So uh, the great news is that on page eight, Bill tells us, I was soon to be catapulted into what I like to call the fourth dimension of existence. I was to know happiness peace and usefulness in a way of life that is incredibly more wonderful as it passes. And this, folks, is true for me today. And I'm just overwhelmed with gratitude this morning. Okay, 
So now let's talk about the 12 transforming things. One of my favorite favorite T-shirts I gave to my husband a a couple years back was, um, it says, first I do the caffeine, then I do the things. (laughs) I love that shirt. But anyway, so these are the the transforming things. So um, my very first meeting, I heard some things that I had never heard before. It was a face-to-face meeting back then. Um, the first thing I heard was that God could do for me what I couldn't do for myself. On page 11, Eddie talks about this, you know, that, that God do, did for him what he couldn't do for himself. And, and I knew because of my mental drive to go get it once I thought about a food that I couldn't not do it. So, you know, for, for the last 20 years when I walked in the room, I had never been able to... Um, not go get food when I thought about it. So, you know, I thought I, I needed that. I needed I needed that help. Um, the next thing I learned that day was about the physical allergy. Um, we talked a lot about the physical allergy in the in the meetings, these local meetings here. I learned that, you know, I, I learned that I chew and swallow my drug. You know, some people put a needle in their arm. Some people open a bottle and, and drink a beverage. Some people pop a pill. Some people snort things up their nose, I chew and swallow my drugs. And, you know, mine were sugar and carbohydrates. And in that in that first meeting, I learned that sugar made me mad and carbohydrates made me immobile. And sugar made me aggressive, you know, and, and that is, and angry. And that was so true for me. And, and you know what? I was so relieved to hear that because I thought, that explains everything, you know? That explains why I am crazy. So, um uh, the other thing I learned about the physical allergy was that I was going to have to go through withdrawal, and it was horrible. It was horrible. You know, I had these two little boys, and people say that a little boy is a loud noise with dirt all over it, and mine were very loud, and I can't remember wearing earplugs because they were just so loud, and, and, and because I was going through withdrawals from sugar, lights were so bright and sounds were so loud, and I just, oh, it was horrible. Anyway, so um, on page... Um, XXDII of the of the doctor's opinion, it says, of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor, and this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. And that was true for me. You know, um, I will say this. I was in another 12-step program for about eight years before I got to this one. I was in Al-Anon, and I had worked the steps there. But, and I think that, you know, that helped, but it says here that, before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. I mean, I was working the steps using my stuff, you know, so that didn't really go very well. But anyway, so uh, I did get abstinent, and for 15 years I I was abstinent, and the the way that I recovered or the way that I looked at recovery was that we talked about the problem a lot, you know. We talked about about the problem a lot, we didn't talk about the solution so much. I mean, one of the old timers would always say, well, trust God, you know, but, and we would always kind of get around, we would always get back around to, I can trust God with this if I was worried about my children or something like that. But, but I didn't know really what that meant. You know, I didn't know what that meant, trust God, um, until I got to vision, but we'll talk about that in a minute. So um, on page XXX, let me find it. On page XXX, um, I want to read this because this is under the bullet entire abstinence in in my notes, and um, it says the it says 
all these and many others have one symptom in common. And they're talking about people. Um, They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And for me, this means foods, um, but it also means ingredients. And and this is this is what um, my first 15 years of, of recovery really gave me is, I mean, we talked a lot about ingredients and, and I was entirely abstinent and, um, and, and, you know, things started really opening up for me from that. I mean, I, I was calm. <laughs> I didn't cuss like a sailor. I still cuss quite a bit, but I didn't cuss like a sailor. Um, a lot of things started happening and changing my life. I was able to engage in a conversation with someone and not think about either my body or their body or what I had eaten or how I was going to get the next thing I was going to eat or get rid of the next thing I got was going to eat by running. I mean, it was my mind just opened up and there was so much real estate available in my mind when I wasn't thinking about those things that my life really, really transformed. It, it really was. Um, it was really a wonderful, wonderful period in my life. Um, so I, I guess another thing that was going on in this time was self-knowledge, if you will. Um, you know, I really thought that I, I had that life by the tail, and, and I really thought that, that this was the answer, you know, that entire abstinence was the answer. And um, interesting, God, but but it was mostly about abstinence. Um, so, well, I can't find that one. I was going to read something on page seven from Bill's story, but I, I can't. I can't find it. So, oh, well, here it is. Let's see. <laughs> um, on page seven, it relieved me somewhat to learn that in alcoholics, the will is amazingly, amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor, though it often remains strong in other respects. Uh, and 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 that's that was me during this phase. You know, there were I was. I became a faithful wife. I was able to be a really great mom to David and John. I had a job that I loved that I was very good at. I had friends and life was going smoothly. Um, then I got breast cancer and that was real tough. And um, none of the tools that I had developed during those first 15 years of being in the rooms worked. In fact, they all came to a screeching halt and did not work. Um, like we hear people say, you know, that was a that was a, a really bleak period in my life. Some bad things happened. My sponsor broke up with me uh, because she said I was too much, and I was. I was a crazy person. You know, I was talking nonstop. I was just, I didn't have any. I was like a drowning person, and and she did what was best for her, which I don't. I, I have no. I have no problem with her today on that respect. I really don't. I understand. Oh, I don't understand because I'm not her, but I, I think I understand what she did. She needed to save herself, and, and she did. But but you know what? I also, at the same time, had a huge spiritual awakening in my in my relationship with my higher power, you know? I mean, I saw my higher power in such a different way, and I began to rely on my higher power instead of my sponsor and instead of talking about the problem. So looking back on it, honestly, breast cancer was a huge gift to me 
because it just took my relationship with with God to a whole new level. So that was in 2016. About a year and a half later, I, well, I'll tell you what, she had broken up with me. I didn't have a sponsor. There are like three or four people in our face-to-face meetings here. I was driving to Austin to meetings. I was driving to Houston to meetings, trying to find a sponsor. I got an, a sponsor in Austin, um, but that really wasn't sustainable, you know. And then one day I got on OA.org and dialed up to a vision for you. Nobody told me about it. I think my higher power just another part of the rescue mission, right? He just gave me this phone number, and um, it was awesome. So I had been in the rooms of OA for 17 years, and it was the first time, <laughs> the first time I had heard people use the word recovered. It's on the cover page, the cover page of the book, of the, of the big book. Um and and in the the forward to the first edition, they told me that they were going to pr- tell me precisely how they did it, you know. And then they also started talking about in this in the vision for you, uh, being a program program of action. I had really ta- thought thought for many years that God did for me what I couldn't do for myself, and I couldn't quit picking up the food, so He did it for me, and He did, and that worked beautifully. But this in these rooms, I learned about the program of action. So um, this is number five. I'm probably not going to get through all 12 of these, but that's all right. So in A Vision for You, I learned about the big book, and I learned that it was a treasure map to God. It was a way of life. It showed me how to live my life, and it gave me instructions, you know, clear-cut instructions. I used to say in my early days, if somebody would just put on a three-by-five index card what I need to do, I will do it. Just tell me what to do. And the big book did that, did that for me. And the other thing the big book has done for me is instead of talking about the problem, oh my gosh, today I have so much to talk about with folks. Pick any page of the big book and you can have an hour conversation on it, right? So I had talking points for conversations um, with fellows where I could truly connect with people. I worked the steps with a vision sponsor. Uh, Let me read this. On page 13 of the big book, it says, my friend promised. Hmm, I love this. My friend promised when these things were done, the, the steps, um, I would enter upon a new relationship with my creator, that I would have the elements of a way of living which answered all my problems. Belief in the power of God plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements. Simple but not easy a price had to be paid. It meant destruction of self-centeredness. I must turn in all things to the Father of Light who presides over us all. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. So I worked the steps. Um, I, And at the end of the steps, I was told I needed to sponsor people. So I did, you know. And a vision for you gives us such great tools to do those, to do that with. You know, at the end of the meeting in the morning, Every single day, you can put your name out there, and that's what I did. I put my name out there with my number, and people started calling me. Um, The other thing that happened, the other transforming thing was that, like, I have 10,000, now 11,000 people (laughs) I can call, you know, and and, um, my world just has, like, exploded from three people in my face-to-face meetings to 11,000 of you guys. How does that happen? Only my higher power. Okay, the other thing that transformed was I started doing 10 steps and um and I started I started, you know, calling people. 
When my sponsor broke up with me, man, I closed the door on trust. I, I, I was still able to trust my higher power, and and um, and I'm super grateful for that. But I decided I wasn't going to trust any of you guys for sure. So I really closed myself off. And what the what the uh, the website has given me is is people people I can connect with, and I and I've and I've started you know, trusting people again, which is amazing. And um and I've also also another transforming thing was that I not only knew that or found out that there were thousands of y'all, but I went to the OA birthday party in LA. I don't remember when that was. It was one of the anniversaries. But anyway, it was recently, you know, in the last two or three years. And I went to the Vision for You conference in Newark and um I'd never been in the room with so many of you guys. Never ever. I had no idea that there were that there were so many so many people, you know. Um but anyway, uh and then and then finally the the last thing that happened during this transformation period was that I surrendered my life and my life and my will to my to God and and, and I and I really began to live in a surrendered state. I'm going to take a drink. Okay. So now this last part is the 12 wonders. Um, I just get, I'm like, my. I, I wasn't nervous when I started, but now I'm like, my heart is just, I don't know, I feel like my, my heart is just about to explode because I'm just so excited to talk about, to talk about my life, you know, and just, and just hearing myself say these, these ways I was transformed Oh, just it's pretty pretty amazing. I will say this. I think I have one more minute in this section. <laughs> um, this whole, you know, Leah asked me to do this about a week ago, and we're moving next weekend. We've lived in our house for thirty years, and my, I mean, I had I had written the text. I can't do it. I can't do it. I've got too much going on. And before I hit send, I thought maybe you ought to check in with your higher power and your sponsor, <laughs> you know. And the words of an old sponsor came back to me that said. Uh, well, she used to say, you never say no when somebody asks you to do service. And never is a strong word. But anyway, I I, uh, I thought, you know, I think I can do this. And I said a prayer. And I kid you not, the next morning I woke up and this entire talk, like, in its, in its, in its entirety came to me. And I opened up a Word document and I just wrote it all in there, you know. Um, so... I do see that as a gift from God. And so I'm so glad that I'm so glad that uh, I said yes. Anyway. Okay, so the 12 wonders. So the first one is that God is the answer. Everything else is a tool. Um on page 53, it says God is everything or he is nothing. And for me, he is everything. And everything else, you know, leads me to him. And as I said in my introduction, he rescued me from a dark, lonely pit by giving me the steps which are him, right? <laughs> I mean, they're they're the way I I, I find where I, how I get to him. Um so, you know, every well, I won't say every day. You know, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the means, but but in the mornings I so I I'm just going to tell you what I do and what my life <clears throat> the 12 things in my life today um uh how I how I live my life, I guess I'll say. So in the morning, I I get up and I say a prayer that is based on page 86 of the big book. 
And, um, you know, I basically turn my will and my life over to, to my higher power. And it's also kind of based on the step third, step three and step seven prayer. And then I have an evening review. And, um, you know, that phrase that says something like so many books, so little time. I'm astounded at how my higher power just continues to bring books and people and ideas and thoughts into my life where I am never bored with my morning morning time with with God. Never. I mean, it just all comes back. Literature from the program and, and outside as well. But but the big book is 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 what the the framework is in the mornings. Um it's based on the prayers of the program and page eighty six in the big book. Um the next wonder in my life is the way I think, you know. I do think that what I'm thinking determines how I'm feeling and and how I'm feeling determines <laughs> what I do and, you know, um, how, you know, the thing, the things that happen in my life. So, so my, my thinking really has been transformed and, um, and it's, it's made a, a huge difference in my life today. How I speak has changed. You know, I, I, I think I've talked, I think I've mentioned curse words three or four times. Cussing was almost like the food for me. I wanted to stop, but it just seemed like I couldn't. And, and just this week, I had this call with a fellow, first time she and I had ever talked, and she said something that really struck me. She said, you know, she's a cusser too, and she said, when I'm not cussing, I feel like, you know, that's how I kind of know my words are in alignment with God's will for me. And I thought, wow, that's that's pretty powerful. And and I've been actually praying to be relieved of cussing, and and when she said that this week, I realized, you know, I don't cuss as much as I used to. I really don't. I mean, I, I really, really don't. And it feels very freeing. Um, so let's see. Um, so my, I do believe my mind has been transformed. And, and, and that's amazing. Uh, let's see. So another thing that I do is, has to do with food. I do have three meals a day with nothing in between. I weigh and measure my food and I prepare all three of my meals either on the weekend or in the morning just because that's when I'm able to, I guess I would say, you know. Coming home tired at during the day, at the end of the day is not a time for me to decide what I'm going to eat, you know. So uh, people in the rooms have really have really taught me that and, and that that's helped me a lot. Uh, I exercise moderately. I do still like to exercise. I love to dance. Dance is my all-time favorite activity. Well, I better not say that, but anyway, I love to dance. <laughs> um, and I dance several times a week, but I, I still run. But, you know, I might do, I, I, I might exercise 30 minutes, 45 minutes at a time. And and if I skip a day, then, you know, it's it's not a big deal. Uh you know, it used to be if I didn't exercise on a day, I was a I was beyond a grouch. I was I was like you couldn't even live with me. I was horrible. So I was so obsessed with exercise. Um, but that's not the way it is today. I love my exercise um in the same way that I love my food. You know, I love my food, but I'm not you know, I pretty much eat and then move on with my life. Um, and the same way with exercise. I love it, but I pretty much just kind of do it and then move on with my life. And it feels awesome. Um, so I have fellowship today. You know, I have fellowship and I have I have friends. Um, 
that word is, is sometimes still difficult for me to use in describing my fellows in the program because cause I really felt like my sponsor that broke up with me was a friend and and I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I was her friend, if that makes sense. Um, but I have fellowship and, and there are some people that I can call friends today. But I, I go to meetings. I go to my face-to-face meetings, my local meetings, as well as um, a Vision for You meetings, and I go to conferences when I can. I, I have phone calls with, with people through either an outreach call or a 10-step call, and, um, you know, I, 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 I don't drink coffee, but I, in Texas, you, if you're going to have a carbonated beverage, you're going to have a Coke. You might have a, a Sprite Coke or a Dr. Pepper Coke, but you say, do you want to go get a Coke? And we also say, do you want to go get some coffee? Well, I don't drink coffee, but I'll have some herbal tea. But I go, I go to coffee with friends, you know, and 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 really have conversations with with depth and weight, and it's it's pretty awesome. And I can and I can also find that 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 I can do that with even people outside the rooms, you know. I can be I could have a conversation with someone um, about you know real the real things in my life, which are spirituality. Yeah. So I mentioned 10 steps. Uh, I, I sometimes have trouble sleeping, and this is another thing that I do these days. I sometimes have trouble sleeping because I do have a job that tends to kind of spin my mind up. And um, I, I, when I wake up in the night, a lot of times I'll be working. You know, I'll be, I've had a dream about work or something. And I really use meditation a lot to to get back to sleep. And I use gratitude. And um you know, a lot of people I know use, and I don't, well, a lot of people I know use Advil PM or Tylenol PM, and, and um, you know, those are not, I don't believe those are for me. So I just try to try to use the tools of the program and the steps in my mind. I'll do an inventory about something that I'm worried about with God. You know, I'll just kind of do a 10-step with God and, and just try to breathe and meditate in the night. And and those are the tools that that the program has given me, which are amazing. The tenth thing that I do is I I work with my sponsor and I work with sponsees. You know, in the foreword to the third edition, it says recovery begins when one alcoholic talks with another alcoholic, sharing experience, strength, and hope. And that's where it begins for me, and that's um, a tool that I use regularly. I talk to at least one sponsee probably every day. Um, I don't really keep track of it that much but yeah I mean I, I I do I work with sponsees and I work with my sponsor and and I and I and also I have a, a God squad if you will some women that I call um, when I need to talk to somebody and 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 think through things think think through something the 11th step that I do is service uh, and I I do that I, I do have a, uh, I do have some, I do do some service for a vision for you, and I do service for my, my face-to-face meeting as well. And then, then the thing that I'll wrap up with is, uh, is that I apply these principles in all my affairs, you know, as as best I can. So on page fourteen of the big book, um, it says, uh, what does it say? Let's see. Hold on a minute. Yep, okay, it says, my friend uh, had emphasized the absolute necessity of 
of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. Particularly was it imperative to work with others as he had worked with me. Faith without works was dead, he said, and how appallingly true for the alcoholic. For if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain, certain trials and low spots ahead. I think I thought, I don't think, I know. I thought when I got here to the rooms, um, uh, my life was in such shambles, I thought that that it would just be perfect, you know, if I could just quit eating and if I could just quit engaging in my behaviors, um, it would be perfect. Well, my life is not perfect today. You know, I have a son that, that, that barely talks to me and, and, um, that's my biggest thing, <laughs> but, but my life is not perfect. And, and I have low spots. You know, I have low spots. I have dark days. Some not dark days. I won't call them dark days, but I have I have days where where I'm doubtful, maybe, or or I'm fearful, or I'm resentful. I still have those things, and 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 today that's almost good news to me because it's like it's not about finding a perfect life, or it's it's about it's about learning to, or it's not about learning. It's about living this life that I've been given. You know, and and so I do try to expand and enlarge my spiritual life. And I try to apply these principles, the principles of the steps in all my affairs. So, um, yeah, it, it's good. So today, you know, I, I don't gossip. I'm honest. I'm kind. I'm a faithful wife. I'm content. I trust God. I think of others, you know, every day after my well, not every day. Most days after my quiet time in meditation, you know, I'm texting people saying, how was your MRI yesterday? Did your dad, you know, how did his knee surgery go? Good luck with your job interview today. I mean, I'm, I think of other people. And when I got here, I pretty much thought of myself. And, and I was so obsessed with myself that I had no space in my mind to think about you or, or anything else. And, Today I don't think much about myself. You know, I like to think about I like to think about my higher power. I like to think about I like to ask, okay, what do I, what do you got for me today? Where do I need to be? Who do I need to talk, call? Who do I need to to reach out to? You know, give me an assignment. I want to be useful. And today I really do feel like I'm useful. And and I I feel like I was I do feel like I was rescued. I was in a bad place, folks. <laughs> I was in a bad, bad place, and um, and the only way that I can describe it is is that that God did rescue me because there were I could probably do a whole talk on just the ways that God has rescued me, has done for me. Literally, things have fallen in my lap, and I know each of us can can point to those things. You know, when you hear people say, "Is it God or is it God?" and and it is God for me. You know, so. I really do like right now I, I have and when I have conversations with people about this this way of life, I almost feel like I'm walking on holy ground, you know, it's like I need to take my shoes off because because yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing. So thank you for listening and um and thank you for being here. And uh, that's all I've got. Thanks. 
Thank you so much, Lou, for this beautiful, touching, and inspiring presentation this morning. really touched my heart, as I'm sure it touched many. The share ID for today, 19,876. That's 19876. Thank you again, Lou, for such a magnificent message of hope and possibility. Really inspiring. Lou's contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so stay tuned for that. And we will now transition to a question and answer segment, questions only. You can pose a question by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Good morning, Leah. This is Mary Lee R. in Eugene, Oregon. I have a question. R. Okay. Alexis F. in New Jersey. Alexis. Lee H. Lee H. Jenny P. from California. Jenny P. Elise S. mid Florida. Elise S. Anyone else want to get in the group? Nancy L. Gotcha, Nancy. Mary W. Mary. From Maryland. Hey, Mary W. Okay, wonderful. Okay, that's a great group to start. I have Mary Lee R., Alexis F., Lee H., Jenny P., Elise S., Nancy L., and Mary W. So let's get started beginning with Mary Lee R. Good morning. This is Mary Lee R. in Eugene, Oregon, in recovery just for today. Could you um, give me an example of your dialogue with your higher power when you have sleep issues, please? Yes, I will. Um, so, Mary Lee, thank you for the question. Yeah, I... I I say, God, please bring rest to my mind and sleep to my eyes and please fill my heart and mind with the peace that comes from you and help me focus on you and my breath. And then I just try to breathe. That's one thing I do. That's one example. That's. Is that enough? <laughs> Whatever other tools you have in your toolbox, but that that one's um, the breath, especially. Thank you for yeah. helping me I have, remember I have, that. Oh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. What? Say uh, well, I was just going to say I have many, <laughs> I have many of them. But that's basically the premise of it. Just please calm my mind and help me get back to sleep, you know. And then I think a big part of it for me, Mary Lee, is believing that that's going to happen. And so I just visualize my mind relaxing and my body relaxing. And But it's taken, you know, with breast cancer, um, I had a lot of trouble sleeping. And so I've I've used many, many things over the years but that's my that's my current one <laughs> that's my best one uh not my best one just the current one that I'm 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 using today yeah 
Thank you, Mary Lee R., for your question. Alexis F., your turn. Yes, your um, little speech today was not in vain. I was very enriched and inspired by it. Um, I was just wondering, do you feel like you were chosen to be transformed by God, or do you think everybody has the opportunity? Oh, man, what a great question. I believe everybody has the opportunity. Um, I, I, You know, my personal belief is that God wants every single person on the planet to be happy, joyous, and free. And I think that he pursues us. You know, I, I wish I wish I could answer these questions based on the big book, but I don't know the big book well enough to to do that. But I feel like the big book says this, you know, that that um, that our higher power, you know, is is available to everyone. And I don't I don't know why some of us uh, answer or. Um, you know, are open to our higher power and some of us aren't. I don't know the answer to that, Alexis, because I sure have a, like I mentioned, that son. I sure have a son who I wish was was um, open to it. But I don't think that I was chosen, no. I don't think I was chosen. I think that, that it's available to everybody and that that their higher power, whoever their higher power is, I, I believe all the higher powers <laughs> want, want people to to have the the path out you know the the way out yeah thank you for the question thank you alexis lee h your turn good morning this is lee h in tennessee good morning lou my good friend and i was so inspired by your talked this morning and there was one particular area that really inspired me and I'd like to ask a question about it. You said life is not perfect. Um, sometimes you're doubtful, sometimes you're fearful, but that life, you want to live your life. Can you? And you said it's, it's almost good news when you're doubtful and fearful. Can you, can you just expound on that or give an example of how you turn that around? Yes, thank you for the for the question, Lee. Yeah, so so the way I see trials today, um, rough spots, challenges, opportunities, whatever you want to call them, I really see those as opportunities to just practice practice my leaning on my higher power today. Um, you know, I think before I got here, I did want a perfect life. I wanted the perfect body. I wanted to know, I wanted to have the perfect set of friends. I wanted to have, you name it, you know, the perfect job, whatever. Um, I thought that was the, I thought that was the objective of life, right? But today, I I almost, I don't welcome them. I don't enjoy those days when I'm not feeling well. But I really do see them as a way for me to enrich and expand my spiritual life because the answer is always God. The answer is always God, no matter what it is. You know, it's such a vers- he's such a versatile solution <laughs> to everything. And and um, so I think that 
I hope that answers your question. I think that answers your question. Uh, but that's what I mean. I mean, I want the richness of my life, you know. I, when I when I'm in a bad place and I come through it, that's such a it's such a, uh, a freedom and and it makes my life it makes my life so much more full, you know. Um, because for me now today, the objective is not the perfect life. The objective today is how can I be in conscious contact with my higher power, you know, and all these things that we see as bad things, um, just, just are, are, are opportunities to get to practice it and to, to, to make it stronger. You know, uh, a couple things I'll say here is, you know, that we've all heard that, or maybe we all haven't, and I'm not going to be able to tell it. Well, you'll need to Google it (laughs) if I don't tell it right. But the story about the guy whose son breaks his leg and the, the people come and say, oh, my gosh, how terrible your son has broken his leg. And the guy says, well, maybe so, maybe no. You know, we don't know if it's good or bad. And then a war breaks out and his son is not able to go to the war and because he's got this broken leg. And the people say, oh, my gosh, what a wonderful thing. How Aren't you happy that your son wasn't able to go to war? And, and he's like, well, maybe so, maybe no. And, and that's as much as I can remember of the story. But the point is that these things that we see as bad things in our lives, you know, we don't we don't know if they're bad or not, right? So I just today my hope and my wish for my life is that that I'll turn to my higher power when I'm happy, that I'll turn to him when I'm sad, that I'll turn to him when I'm afraid or doubtful, I'll turn to him when I'm grateful. Because you know what? I used to turn to food for all those things. If I was excited or happy, let's go get something to eat. If I was sad or depressed, I'm going to go get something to eat, you know. And and today I don't do that. Today I today I, I first thought that comes into my mind, honestly. Maybe not the first one. No, 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 no. It's not the first one. I won't, be, I won't lie. A lot of times the first one is negative. But if I sit there and take a breath and pause, you know, I didn't talk about the pause much, but take a breath and pause, um, I generally will, not generally, I'll always get back to my higher power and think, okay, how can I, how can I approach this in the, in a way that my higher power wants me to? So that's, that's that. That's it. Thank you, Lee H., for your question. Jenny P., it's your turn. Hi, good morning. This is Jenny P. from California. And thank you, Lou, for your great share this morning and um, also for being an important part of my program. Um, I would love to know if your um, allergy, your physical allergy has changed over time um, since you've been working your program. Thanks. That is a great question. So I believe that my allergy has not changed. My food plan has changed in that when, so so I, I believe that I'm still addicted to sugar. That's my primary one. Um, and there are some things like refined carbohydrates that that also don't work for me. And there's some other things too, and I won't go into the details because it's not about the food. But I will say this, that when I got breast cancer, the place I got my treatment said, yeah, what you're eating, you need to stop that and you need to eat this other way. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so my food plan has changed over the last 20 years. Um, but I've worked closely with the nutritionist and... Um, 
yeah, and the food plan that I had today looks very different from what I had when I came in, but but it works and and I'm and I'm grateful for that. Yep. So, uh yeah, I hope I hope yeah, I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Jenny P for your question. Elise S. Your turn. Okay. Did you call Nancy? Good morning. Elise. This is, and then yes, Nancy. Yeah. Go ahead. This is Elise from Mid Florida. I want to thank you so much for this morning. It was amazing. And I find myself exactly where you were. I didn't sleep a wink last night and I got started doing stuff to my house I'd never done before. Um I haven't been on uh, a vision for you for a long while. I've gone through COVID, April of 21, and COVID in July of 22, and my energy level was at down at the pits. Oh, quite. Anyway, <laughs> so listening to your story, yesterday I was amazed. I was sitting there pulling records out of the bottom of my cabinet and looked at all the great songs I used to know when I was a teenager. And it put me in a mood that I hadn't been in for years. I <laughs> I just, I, just listening to you said, this has got to work. And by the way, I got a package in the mail the other day. Don't even know why. But it was from uh, Misfit Market. And it was all vegetables. So guess what I got to be doing all week? I got to be cooking a bunch of vegetables. And I don't know if you know that the call right now is 876. That's how we get to you every day. Thank you so much. You've made my morning, and I might be up for another hour maybe before I fall asleep. Elise, thank you Um, so much. Do you have a question (laughs) this morning? Yes. Um, How do you put down something that you know isn't right for you, and how do you not go to the grocery store and buy the stuff that's on sale. I think that's... (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question, Elise. Thank you for it. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking back to the days when I was trying to put down sugar and uh, or where I did put it down. And and I really, at that time, you know, I mentioned it, that I really relied on the idea that God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself because I was unable to do that. I was literally unable to do that. Um, and so I just used a lot of prayer and I used a lot of fellows. I would make phone calls. Um, I spent a lot of time at my sponsor's kitchen table. I would just drive, I would put my kids in the car and drive over to her house and sit at her kitchen table until it passed, you know, because what I did learn was that when the mental, mental drive to go get my food would come, it would pass eventually if I would just wait, you know, and sit with it. Um, and it was so, so uncomfortable. I mean, I, I really, I really describe it as like I just felt like my skin was this kind of gross thing to say, but like my skin was just being peeled off. I could not sit in my in my own skin, you know. And I mentioned how lights were so bright and noises were so loud and. And at the same time, I was just exhausted, you know, because I was also not doing caffeine, and I was just exhausted. I was just like a walking zombie, and I had these two little boys. It was it was pretty bad. <laughs> but you asked me how I didn't pick it up, and 
just really relied on my higher power, and I would just pray, you know. And and I also, I will, I'll say this too, you know. Well, you know, people in the vision on the vision meeting say you just got to put down the food, and I agree with that. You do. You just have to put down the food. But but I I respect your question. Well, how the heck do you do that? You know, because how the heck do you do that? Um, and I, I think sometimes willingness gets a bad rap in the rooms too. But I can remember. Literally, I remember a specific shower. I was standing in the shower, bawling my eyes out, and I can remember saying, God, I cannot do this, and I am not willing to do this. I am not willing to put the food down. Just please give me the willingness to be willing. And I just, for me, right or wrong, I just, at that time, I just saw it as, I was just begging my higher power to do what made for me what I couldn't do for myself. And he gave me things to do in the meantime, right? Go see your sponsor, Teddy. Go, you know, for a walk with the kids. Uh, do the dishes. Make the bed. Do the laundry. You know, keep yourself occupied until this, this passes because the big book does talk about that hospitalization period, you know. And I didn't have a hospital. I wasn't able to get that. But people talk about, what do you, what, you know, in the hospital, you we have people to do stuff for you. I didn't really have that, but you're basically focused on getting well, right? And and you're focused on trying to get better, and and that's what I would just try to do is is um, keep myself occupied until it until excuse me until it passed. And um, yeah, a lot of things I've learned I, for me. I've learned that a lot of things about this program are. <laughs> are sometimes unexplainable. You know, it's difficult to explain. It, it's just that it, it it happens. And I would just encourage you to find somebody that you can talk to about it and and find somebody who you can relate to and just ask for their help and ask for God's help to um, to just put the food down because that is what it has to... It had to start with me putting the food down. It had to... Um, and, and and it's definitely that way for me today too. I, I cannot ingest my drugs, or I am lost. So, yeah, the food plan is not the answer, but it's a very very important tool. That's that's it. I pass. Thank you. Thanks, Elise, for the question. Nancy L, your turn to pose a question. Thanks, Leah, and thank you, Lou. Wow, what a wonderful um, example of transformation. And as I um, pray for my son. I will remember your son as well. I have two pertinent questions. Um, One is, how much weight have you lost, and how often do you weigh if you do weigh yourself? Thank you so much. Thank you, and thank you for the question. So, I don't weigh um, because, well, okay, I'll answer the first one first. I don't even really know how much weight I've lost, but I am uh, not, I was never obese. I was obese when I was pregnant both times, but, but, you know, I gained a ridiculous amount of weight, way more than I should have, like three times as much as the doctor recommended. But I've I've never been a, a, a heavy person. Um, I don't know how much I've lost, maybe 20 pounds. I don't know. I was more of a a, a restrictor, you know, and an, and an, bulim- an exercise bulimic. Uh, let's see. And then, and then I don't weigh and and I'll, I'm going to, I'll tell a little bit about why I don't weigh. Here's the thing with me and numbers. Um, if the scale is a, 
a number that I approve of, it puts a wedge between me and my higher power. It begins to make me feel like I'm powerful and I don't need this program. Uh, it puts a wedge between me and my fellows because now I'm better than you because I probably weigh less than you. And uh, if the number is a number that I approve of, it 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 makes me feel powerful and in control. And and that's that's a formula for disaster. If and and you know I joke about this that I'm either a piece of dirt or a, the ruler of the universe and and there's not a lot of in between and so when that number is low um, I'm the ruler of the universe and I don't need God when the number is high on the scale then I'm a piece of dirt and and that that also puts a wedge it, it that also puts a wedge between me and my higher power um, uh, and then it also puts a wedge between me and my fellows because now I'm not useful because I'm a piece of dirt. And so, so I don't weigh, you know, I don't think, I don't think that that's for everybody. I think everybody's got to have their own relationship with the scale. Um, but, but that is, is my truth. And same with, you know, same with, uh, this is not exactly about the scale, but it's related. The same with, uh, clothes, the sizes of clothes, you know, I can get off on on a lower number and a, and a size of clothes. And the best luck I've ever had with shopping was that I I have a per, I got get a personal shopper and I tell her don't tell me the sizes and just bring me and I'll just say I need bigger or bigger or smaller. And because I just it just goes back to me to living on that ladder, you know, where I'm better or worse than. Um, yeah, I, ho- I hope I hope that helps. Thank you. Thanks, Nancy L. Mary W., your turn to pose a question. Mary W., star one to unmute. Maybe we already covered it, huh? Uh, perhaps. Okay. Anyone else have a question for Lou this morning? Star one to unmute. Renee from Pennsylvania. Renee. Mary Pat I. Mary. Sue's from, Sue's from New Jersey. <laughs> okay. And I'll take one other. Star one on mute. Did you get Lisa B? And Lisa B. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Let's begin questions only with Renee. Renee, star one to unmute. Hi, this is Renee. I I thought I was... um, Hello? Go ahead, Renee. Okay, sorry. Uh, I thought I was unmuted, and then I wasn't. So, Lou, thank you so much for um, sharing your experience, strength, and hope today. The question that I have is you talked about um, being at a place where you would roll over uh, in the morning and say to your husband, what are we going to do today? Um, And to fast forward to spending many evenings dancing, and I'm going to assume you're not dancing with your husband if I'm assuming that's wrong, then let us know. But that's a big transition to go 
from um, like that relationship dictating what you do rather than what you um, are using your time with now. So can you talk about like what what changed? What was the shift um, from going to one dependent to um, God dependent? Oh, thanks, Renee. Thank you for the question. Yes. So, so um, what changed? I, well, I think that that's a really you know having a person as your higher power. And I and I I was I was born a compulsive overeater, but I was also born in search of a higher power. I had an older brother who was my first higher power. <laughs> uh, I, my husband was my higher power. You know, I had all these people right that I relied on and and thought that that was the answer. And 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 what I've really grown to, to believe and know is true for myself is that people are um, people are a tool, right? I mean, we're here we're here to be with each other and to walk on this road with each other. But but I'm going to let you down, and you're going to let me down. And and it seems, sounds kind of fatalistic, but it's it's I don't I don't see it as fatalistic today at all because when when people let us down, let me down, my higher power is a constant in my life, and I can always turn to my higher power, and my higher power is always there and it has my best interest at heart, right? So the other thing that that helps me with is like expectations, you know, because you hear in the rooms that an expectation is a premeditated resentment, and that is so true for me. And and so when I don't rely on other people to be my higher power, like my children, for instance, you know, then then I'm pleasantly surprised when when life unfolds as it unfolds, you know. On Christmas Day, my son was about three hours late to, to Christmas. And my other son was here and I had I had zero expectations for that son who was late. I kinda knew he was gonna be late. And so we just got up and we had our Christmas and it was wonderful. And then when he walked in the door three hours later I was able to say Hey, I'm so glad to see you, you know, because I had no expectations of him and, and and we ended up having a beautiful day because of it. And 20 years ago, I would have been mad and I would have been, you know, snippy with him and I would have been had a cold shoulder and and so I think that that principle, <clears throat> excuse me, applies to your question about my husband, you know. Um he's a human being. He's a man. He's a wonderful man, but he is a human being. And when I make a human being my higher power, uh, I'm going to be disappointed, and because no person can rescue us, right? No person can be our everything, and and yeah. So I hope that that answered your question. You asked how. You asked what happened, and I, I hope that answered it. Thanks, Renee. <laughs> Thank you, Renee. Mary Pat I. Your turn. Howdy, um, Miss Lou, and thank you, uh, Leah. Um, Leah, uh, my name is Mary Pat. I am a recovered compulsive eater from Ohio. My question is: um, You mentioned the gossip, and I'm wondering that is a, that is a hindrance to uh, spiritual expansion for for me. And um, so I'm wondering how you put the gossip down. Thanks. Mm. Great question. Great question. Okay, so this was my rule of thumb early on when I was when I was uh, I, I want to say working on gossip, but anyway, you know what I mean. When I was when I was looking at my gossip and and trying to rely on my higher power to help me help me change that. And this is what I I said. 
or this is what I got from a higher power. If I am talking about someone, they need to be in the room. And if I'm talking about somebody who's not in the room, chances are I'm gossiping. And that was, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty strict. I mean, you can be talking about good things about somebody, but, but early on, that's what I, that's the rule of thumb I used. And I did not say a single person's name if they were not in the room with me. And, um, and that helped me kind of, kind of, uh, see how I gossiped, right? And to become aware of my gossip. I remember we would, we would go to family. My mother comes from a really big family. She has four sisters and, and I love her family, but we would go to a family reunion, Mary Pat, and we would get in the car, and we were not out of the driveway because before we were just like ripping everybody, right, gossiping about, well, she looks good this year, or she didn't look good this year, or whatever. It was like part of, it was just part of my social interaction. I gossiped all the time, and it was funny because when I first got married, we were babies just about when we got married but we were really young and my husband one day he just said I'm not going to talk about that I'm not going to talk about her you know I'm not going to gossip with you about people and I remember thinking like what are you talking about it's not gossip but it was you know so that was really a rule of thumb that helped me set that habit down um and and see it for what it was you know uh let's see what else did I do well, I think that's about it, you know? If they're not in the room, I don't need to be talking about it. I just don't need to say their name or, or talk about them at all. I guess one more thing I'll say is uh, I really do feel like people's stories are their own to share, you know? Like um, if I if someone tells me something that I used to just would have loved to gossip about, right? Like they tell me something about them and then I just go tell somebody else because that's so fun. It, if, if I'm telling somebody else's story, in my mind, that's gossip. Uh, so, so I don't, I don't tell other people's stories and that goes about, that goes for my children. You know, I don't, I don't tell my son's stories. They're grown men. You know, I'll let them, I'll let them tell their own stories and share their own news. And, um, because that's what I want other people to do for me, right? I don't want people talking about me or sharing my story with somebody that I don't, you know, that I might not want to know. So I think that's what I've got on that. Thanks for the question. Thank you, Mary Pat I. Next we have Suze with her question. Hi, here I am. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Uh, Lou, that was quite amazing. Um, it was very, as you say, it just came to you automatically, and that was, that's just higher power. So for me, I guess this is a very early kind of question. Um, I'm actually on my fifth step, but um, it's kind of like part A and part B a little bit. One is how do you feel close to your higher power? That's kind of a, an odd question, I guess. But uh, for me, I grew up in a religion where, you know, there was a certain relationship with a higher power. And now I don't feel that way. I want to be have a really close, intimate relationship with my higher power because higher power is everything, you know, and I really believe that that's, as you say, more, even more important than the food. The food is a great tool, but it's all about getting closer to higher power. your question, please. How do you get closer to higher power? What does it look like to you? Um, And also, uh, how do you break up with a sponsor? I don't know if you can do both of those questions, but thank you. 
yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a visualization person. Uh, I really, visualization is really, and I don't know, I don't know if it's in the big book, but, but, um, but visualization is really big for me. And so I, I actually picture what I think my higher power looks like sometimes. That helps me. Um, I think another thing that I do to feel close to my higher power is I say the things out loud um, in my prayers in the morning. I'll actually say them out loud for some reason. I don't know why, but that makes me feel closer to my higher power. Um, uh, what else do I do? I could probably speak more more one-on-one with you after I have some time to think about it. But uh, And I think also just, you know, spending time time with my higher power is, is important. Um, real quick, I'll say that, you know, I think sometimes our, our school age friends are really, we, we feel really close to people in school sometimes because we spend so much time with them just by nature of being in school with them. Um, and, and, and why is that? Because we see them every day, you know, because we, we are with them. And so for me, I think one way that I feel close is to give myself reminders to kind of reach out to my higher power during the day. And, and, and that is always through a 10th step for me. No, I shouldn't say always, but oftentimes it's through a 10th step, you know, because the 10th step, I start the 10th step with the problem and I end it with God. And, and the 10th step is, is my map, if you will, to, to finding God in the midst of my problems. So, uh, yeah, I would say those things, probably visualization, saying things out loud. And a tenth step is also saying it out loud, right? I mean, a tenth step's like a prayer in many, many ways for me. And then the last thing I'll say about that is talking with like-minded people who also are uh, focusing on developing their relationship with their higher power. higher power. Oh, and then breaking up with a sponsor. Ooh, just tell them. You know what? I I I think that I appreciate everything you've done for me, but but um, I think I need to hear somebody else's voice. And most sponsors will say absolutely. You know, so it needs to be beneficial for both people. That relationship does, and and so yeah, it's okay. I would encourage you to probably have another sponsor lined up before you break up with a sponsor. But I think just be honest with them. And most sponsors will say, Hey, I get that. I understand. So thanks for the question. Thank you, Suze. And our final question for the morning comes from Lisa B. Um, hi, Lou. Thank you so much for your share. Um, I kind of sort of have a two-part question. I guess the first thing I want to ask is, how did your parenting change when you got abstinent and you came into program? And you mentioned also, too, that you were a binger and a starver. So you didn't start, at one point, you didn't start eating until you absolutely had to. And I'm the same way. So I find I do the same thing with my son as far as, like, TV watching. I get very nervous about starting it all because I know we're not going to stop. So if you could share your parenting style and also how that changed and also how how to, I don't even know how to transcend your own stuff when parenting your child. And that's it, I guess. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, how did my parenting change? Well, I was, I was, you know, when I sat down by food, I was much calmer. When I was relying on my higher power, I was more peaceful. And that just by nature of that made me more available to my children. Um, It was a long time ago. I'm trying to remember. Uh, I would say that. Um, 
And then how did I transcend my own stuff to be able to be available for my sons? I had a sponsor who's my sponsor at the time, her children were about 15 years older than mine and her experience, strength and hope as a mother was so beneficial to me. And so I, I relied on her stories and, and so much. And so I think as moms, we're, well, anyway, I could go on and on about this one. But anyway, what I would say is that I found women who I respected as mothers. Nine times out of ten, they were trying to also develop a relationship with God, and and that helped. Um, But I found people and women in particular who I could be honest with and who I could trust and who didn't shame me and who didn't one-up me or live on a ladder by thinking I'm a better mom and my kids are better than you and better than your kids. And I tried to just divorce myself from, from people that lived like that and spoke like that. I tried to find people who uplifted me and encouraged me, and uh, and it and it was hard. You know, it was really hard. I think it's probably a little bit easier today because there is the Internet, you know, but um, it doesn't take many people. You know, it just takes one other woman who you can try to, to share with and, and open your heart to and, and be honest with. Um, but, yeah, I would just say that, it's, that it has to start with God. Um, and 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 then next, putting the food down, so that that channel to God is clear, you know. Because when I have food, that channel's all clogged up, and I can't I can't hear what my higher power is trying to say to me. I don't have a real good bead on my intuition, which um, is what I rely on a lot. And so it starts with seeking my higher power and and putting the food down, and then pretty much everything else gets gets got better for me from there. I pass. Thank you, Lisa B., for your question, and thank you, Lou, for giving so much of yourself this morning and sharing such an inspiring presentation, truly a gem for the archives. Thank you for your message of depth and weight. Today's share ID, 19,876, that's 19876, and we will close now. From page 164, you'll notice it's within a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.